1: We're headed up to Kitchener, Ontario, that's in the wide orbit of Toronto, to visit with Dawood Warnsby today. I was fortunate to be pointed in Dawood's direction by two of the other members of the Abraham Jam, a synthesis and collaboration between musicians from the three Abrahamic religions— Billy Jonas of Jewish Roots, David Lamott of Christian Quaker background, and Dawood Warnsby of the Islamic faith. On the other hand, sometimes he's also been accused of being a New Age tippy, but we will let you sort out for yourself what is the reality behind the labels we might use for him. I think you'll find, as I have, that Dawood brings excellent music full of rich meanings by a person on a powerful and rooted spiritual path, vividly reflected in his 15 CDs. Dawood Warnsby joins us via Skype from Kitchener, Ontario. Dawood, it's a joy to have you here today for Song of the Soul. Thank you so much, Mark. It's an honor to be here with you. We were talking before we got on the air, and I've actually been to Kitchener in Ontario. (laughs) (laughs) Have you lived there a long time? Is that where you're from originally? Yes, I was born here.
2: My father was born here and uh, grew up here. Left the city for about 10 or 11 years after I got married and moved to various different places around the world. Went down to Boulder, Colorado first. My wife and I got married and moved down there. And then we lived in Damascus, Syria, for a year. And then we moved over to Cairo, Egypt, for a year. And then we've kind of bounced back and forth between Canada and Colorado and Pakistan. Was home for about three years. And now we, uh, we're we primarily based in Canada here, but we still spend about four months of the year in Pakistan as well.
1: Is that because you just have connection with community there or where's your wife from? I mean, maybe she's a Kitchener indigenous too. No, my wife was born in Pakistan, but she grew up in the United States from the age of about
2: seven. Her grandparents, though, just lost her grandfather, but her grandmother is now 93 and still lives in Pakistan. Her grandmother was a teacher and started a school there about 30 years ago. And my wife is a teacher as well. So we spend a lot of time over there in Pakistan,
1: just caring and being with her grandmother and helping with the school as well. If you've spent years living there, I'm assuming that you speak Urdu or one of the other languages that's from the area.
2: I can get by in Urdu. I understand about 40%
1: when people are speaking. And
2: Arabic, I was better when I was living in Syria and Egypt, sort of out of necessity. I've lost a lot of my like conversational Arabic. I'm limited primarily just to what I know through the Muslim tradition and my kind of ritual prayers and things of that nature. I'm able to recite and use a bit of Arabic, but nothing conversational.
1: I'm assuming that there's a chance to practice the Arabic because of the Muslim prayers and because there's going to be a mosque somewhere not too far from you in Kitchener. But I imagine Urdu is not so common in Kitchener.
2: Well, you know, you'd be surprised. I think where I live in Kitchener, we're about 45 minutes away from Toronto. And there's a huge Pakistani community there in the greater Toronto area. So I tend to find I have more opportunity to speak Urdu with people than I do Arabic. In fact, the little mosque that I I walk to down the street from my house is primarily a Turkish community. So um, the sermon each week is half Turkish and half English. And I don't understand any Turkish. (laughs) It's a very diverse Muslim community that we have here. And English seems to be the default language for all of us because we're just from Somali. And from the Balkans and, and Indonesia and Tunisia, and we
1: all kind of tend to default to English. And I find I
2: use my English and my Urdu more than anything.
1: I have the sense that perhaps Canada in general and Kitchener in specific is more friendly to Muslims than many areas in the United States. Is that a fair assessment?
2: That's a hard question for me to answer, you know, because I find a lot of love in people wherever I am blessed to go. Definitely, I think on a governmental level, it's harder to come into the U.S. I am a U.S. citizen. I was naturalized in the U.S. shortly after I was married. And regardless of my U.S. passport, when I travel south of the border, most of my performances are there in the U.S. It's a constant that every time I cross, I'm held up and and there's a lot of discussion at the border. And when were you naturalized? And are you still married? And lots of questions, as you can imagine. So it's definitely harder for me as a Muslim traveling back and forth to the United States between the US and Canada. But once I'm across the people I meet, it's a lot of love wherever I tend to travel. I find really loving people to be with.
1: The real reason I have Dawood Warnsby here today is because I wanna share your music with the world. And I've really enjoyed what I've gotten to know. And there's a lot more that I haven't gotten to know yet. How would you like to start us off for your Song of the Soul?
2: I think probably it would be nice to start with a song called "Outseeing the Field. It took me about 12 years to write this song. I started writing it many, many years ago when I was actually out for a walk in the woods in and around my uh, hometown. had a dream one night that I was flying over those snow-covered fields. And and in my dream, I landed and everyone gathered around and said, how were you able to fly like that? And I told them, you know, it's easy. You just have to stop trying so hard and just relax and you'll fly. So I, I wrote this song and I didn't know what to do with it. And about 12 years later, I had an experience in a mosque where I had had been uh, there for the Friday prayer, and it was a pretty conservative community. The sermon that week happened to be about uh, music, and the person giving the sermon was very against music and its effects on people and their hearts and their minds. And as a musician who had just come off the road and had met a lot of young people who really found a great deal of connectivity and peace through music, it was very hard for me to listen to that sermon. And that was kind of the first time that I ever sort of stood up in the middle of a sermon and and just turned and faced the opposite direction of the congregation and found myself walking out and picking up my shoes and going for a hike in the hills around Colorado. And I I realized on that day that sometimes the boxes that we put ourselves in, they can help us find our direction. But sometimes we need to get our heads out of those boxes as well and, and go back to the natural creation of this world that helps to recalibrate our faith and our connectivity to God. So that's kind of what the song's about for me is finding that connectivity to God through nature and through the world that's been created by God.
1: The song is Outseeing the Fields. It's by my guest for today's Song of the Soul, Dawood Warnsby. Here is Outseeing the Fields.
0: Briskly rising to the sky Cold clouds rushing Hopes to never land Light Stretching out my hand I'm seeing the fields What is a dream Can you tell me what is real Everyone else is only. Blah,
1: Edward Warnsby has a CD out, "Seeing the Fields," and that's title track. I think you shared the authorship of that song or creation of the song with Idris Phillips. Is that right, Idris Phillips? Yes. Yeah. Tell me about that collaboration and who Idris is. Well,
2: I had the pleasure and the honor of meeting Idris probably in around 2003, 2004. He had just come to my website. He is a singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and a very talented producer. In those days, he was based in Los Angeles. He had also embraced the Quran many years earlier, and... He had found a lot of difficulty as well, being accepted as a professional musician within a very conservative Muslim community in, in Arizona in those days, was sort of just feeling a little isolated and found my website, kind of Google searched Muslim musicians, and my name popped up and he said, I went to your website and there was a Muslim with a guitar and I just felt like I had found my brother and we really did quickly hit it off like brothers. We toured together for many years and
1: he helps me produce
2: that album, in the Fields.
1: Well, it sounds like this is someone I should connect up with. Absolutely. So you spoke of that mosque, and again, this is somewhere in Colorado that you were at at that point, where there's this opposition to music. And the first time I really was aware that there was a Muslim opposition to music, I think, is because when cat stevens became yusuf islam he gave up his music and that broke my heart because mm. his music was so coming of age influential for me t for the tellerman and the other couple first albums that he put out in particular were so powerful for me and he stopped it's like no you can't do that you're you're a blessing to my soul and why are you taking that away <laughs> When he came back, I was so heartened and I've got a couple of his albums now and just really happy. And I understand that you shared the stage with Yusuf as well. Indeed, yes. He's been a wonderful,
2: Yusuf uh, Islam has been a wonderful mentor to me over the years. I was first introduced to his music, probably like you, you know, in my teens. A friend in high school just lent me this mixed tape of cat songs. And there was definitely a real connection that I felt with those lyrics, as so many millions of people over the last 40 years have felt that same connection, that idea of the search and that quest for some sort of truth. And the more I would listen to his music and followed the chronology of his writing style and what what he was writing about. The more intrigued I became when I learned that he had sort of left the music profession to start a school and to just raise a family. To me, that was the most exciting thing that I learned about his life. And I think those were different times that we lived in. Those were times before the internet, before Facebook likes and YouTube hits. And, and in those days, you could really sit down and write a letter to somebody you felt a connection with. And quite often, if they were a person who was well grounded in their own lives, they'd write you back. And Yusuf Islam was one of those people. I just wrote a letter and sent it to the school that he had started and got a reply saying, well, the next time you come to England, let's sit down together and let's meet. So for probably about 20 years, Yusuf uh, has been a very dear personal mentor to me. And it's been wonderful to be able to chat with him about why he left music. And in fact, it wasn't because of any theological controversy. It was really because he, from a very young age, if I may speak on his behalf, you know, had been immersed in that lifestyle, you know, very contrary to the quest for purpose that often young people experience. He just felt like it was time to, with no pun intended, time to go, you know, as father and son, as it says in the song. It has been wonderful to see him be able to return to music now so much more comfortable in his own skin and and you mentioned T for the Tillerman and he's just released a new album called The Laughing Apple which if T for the Tillerman had a disc 2 This is that recording. It's produced by the same producer, Paul Samuel Smith, and and it's just a beautiful, beautiful, very innocent recording of songs. I'd urge everybody to
1: pick it up. Well, he's definitely on my bucket list of people I want to sit down and talk to. You've had your own varied journey. Why don't you give us a little bit of a summary of where Dawood Warnsby, and I'm assuming you maybe weren't Dawood growing up, (laughs) where you've been and where you are now? Yeah, I was born David. My parents named me
2: David, which was sort of a beautiful foreshadowing, I think, for my life and who I eventually grew into. I grew up here in Kitchener, and my parents sent my sisters and I to Catholic school. We identified as being a Catholic family. For whatever reason, I just felt from a very young age a real connectedness to a faith and to wanting to understand the story of who Jesus was as a person. and And that journey led me, I think, as a teenager, into seeking out alternative scriptures. You know, books that had been omitted from the current collection of the Bible. Gospels, Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Mary, you know, Gospel of Philip, and wanting to read and find those scriptures to have a better and more well-rounded understanding of who Jesus was. And perhaps like many other seekers, perhaps even people like Yusuf Islam, began to read the, the legends and stories of people like Buddha and other scriptures like the Gita and the Upanishads. And the more I would read and the more I would read about the lives of these different spiritual leaders of the past, the more similarities I just kept seeing. And to me, it really culminated into reading the Quran and seeing many of those stories of those teachers of the past being presented in one scripture to me with such a commonality. This common mission of human beings to truly understand their purpose in life, their connectivity to each other.
1: And it was quite a ride, quite a journey, but definitely worth the effort. Some of that you live out through your music. So how about you share another song from Dawood Warnsby? Oh, I would be honored.
2: I think what comes to mind would be a song called Dear God. It's one that I wrote a few years ago, actually. I was working on a poetry anthology for children. And I was thinking of my daughters when I wrote the anthology. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I should write something about God. It's good for us grown-ups to teach our children about something. And, and as I sat down to write, I thought, what a completely self-centered and egocentric, spiritually self-righteous task that was going to be. Who am I? I don't even know what's going on behind me. And I'm supposed to teach my daughters about the unseen creator of this universe. So the song ended up coming out a little bit more like a reflection and a prayer from my own heart about just how little I know. And to try to find out what is the core of this thing we call faith and religion? What are we really trying to achieve? And and I can't help but think that it just comes back to thankfulness, some form of gratitude and thankfulness. And so Dear God illustrates my journey. And I think it illustrates as well the essence of what I try to share with my daughters about who or what this
1: thing we call God is. Dear God by Dawood Warnsby. Dear
0: God, I've heard your name. From teachers, family and friends You may be universe And so we'll live on when it ends But everyone I know admits They've never seen your face They're not sure where you live And have no map to the place I have searched in all the places pious people try to look Made pilgrimage and paths through pages of each holy book My mum told me that I could talk to you if I just pray. So God, well, here I am, though I'm not sure just what to say She said I'd never see you But she said you're always there You're never fast asleep And somehow you're always aware She said that you'd remember me If I remember you Said you'd always help me If I ever asked you to Well I am just one child you made out of millions I would guess I try my best but sometimes even that turns out a mess So I'd like you to help me with the stuff that I find tough Like feeling sad and lonely or like I am not good enough I'd gladly pay the debt Somehow give something back to you But since you're Lord of everything There's not much I can do The only things that come to mind To make this all seem fair Are to thank you and remember That you are always I have heard your name From teachers, family and friends You made the universe And so we'll live on when it ends The only things that come to mind To make this all seem fair Are to thank you and remember That you are wrong
1: the song is Dear God. It's by Dawood Warnsby. It's from his recording Acoustic Simplicity. The end of that word is T-E-A, by the way, folks. And I understand it's also on his recording Picnic of Poems. By the way, speaking of versions, Dawood, I noticed in this one you have the words, I've searched in all the places pious people try to look, made pilgrimage and paths through pages of each holy book. And I found a site online where instead of those words, it had the words, I thought perhaps a letter or a postcard could be mailed. Since I didn't have your address, that idea kind of failed. (laughs) (laughs) And I like that a lot. The one that you actually included in this version, I really like the profundity of that search that you were doing. Is that why you wanted to get a little bit more profound rather than tongue in cheek?
2: Yeah. I Originally, as I mentioned, I I wrote the song for my daughters, and uh, I thought that idea of singing from the perspective of a child, you know, you want to write, some kids write to Santa Claus, some kids write letters to God, where do you send it? Of course, we know Santa Claus lives in Canada, in the North Pole, hence the red white but, (laughs) (laughs) But God's another story, where do you write that and send that letter, and really that's what our prayers are. So when I used to sing that song, and I would have children in the audience, that line about the postcard always got a little bit of a snick and a giggle <laughs> from the parents. But as I started to find audiences with not as many children in the audience, I thought, well, let me kind of be a little bit more autobiographical and and talk a little bit more about my search, especially in the Muslim tradition, you know, where one of the aspects of worship that is so sacred to many Muslims is the um, pilgrimage to Mecca. And there's often this thought that if you've made that pilgrimage to Mecca, then you've put your all into your faith. And having made that pilgrimage and still feeling like somebody who doesn't always know where his direction is, I really felt that it was important to mention that in the song That other Muslims could hear that, you know, here's someone like myself who has tried to do all the things, you know, who's tried to make those pilgrimages and read those scriptures. And and it still leaves you with your hands up in the air sometimes wondering, am I doing the right thing and am I going the right way? And I just felt that it was important for me to share that crack in my own soul so that other people perhaps who might have a feeling of brokenness too may understand that they're not alone.
1: Well, folks, we are speaking with Dawood Warnsby, and as you can see, he's done the Hodge. He lives in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada, and he is my guest today for Song of the Soul, which is a Norton Spirit Radio production. On the web, that means you find us at nortonspiritradio.org. On that site, you find a link to all our guests, including to Dawood Warnsby. His website is warnsby.com. That's W-H-A-R-N-S-B-Y dot com. It's easier, I think, for most people to spell northernspiritradio.org and you can come and find the link to Dawood and to all our guests. More information about them, the song list, the stations where our programs are carried across the nation. There's some 33 of them at this point. You can also post comments. and We really, really, really value two-way communication. So when you visit, please do take the time to post a comment on our programs and give us the feedback that lets us know you as well. There's also a place to donate. Click the donate button. This is full-time work and it's supported by listeners. It's not supported by the government and it's not supported by corporations. It's supported by you, the listener. You make all the difference when you click donate when you visit. Even more important though, I would say, and I don't know if this is true up in Kitchener, but all around the U.S. there are community radio stations, stations which are not owned by corporations, not public radio per se, but just functions of the local community. And That is so important in terms of having a voice in your community. So please remember to start by supporting your local community radio station. They're number one in my book. Again, our guest is Dawood Warnsby. He's shared a couple songs already, but we've got a lot more music to go. And I I think I could speak all day with you, Dawood, and just have a rich experience. And That's what I'd like to do. But some of the listeners are going to get impatient if I don't get in some more music. So Why don't you give us another song right away?
2: We talked a little bit earlier about my friend Idris Phillips, a producer and songwriter in the U.S., and one of the songs that um, we collaborated on is a song called The War. It sort of was something that he felt came out of him maybe around the time of the invasion of Afghanistan or the Iraq War, but he had no words for it. And I had written some words when I was in Syria, which dealt with a little bit with that idea of who we are, who we follow in our lives. Do we follow political leaders? Do we follow religious clerics? Do we follow pop icons? Do we follow our own ego? And the words just seem to fit in with his song. And the chorus of the song is La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, which in Arabic is called the Kalima. And this is a kind of a reminder that we all come from the same source. We're all equal as human beings. And those of us who embrace the traditions of all of the different prophets of the past are also on that same journey. We put the song together. We call it Kalima, or the
1: war, and share that with you today. Let's go right into it. Kalima.
0: Faces to our makkah of the markets before dawn Our prophet speaks to us, Counted once the sun is gone What do we hope to gain? Work our hands and spirits raw La ilaha illallah Muhammad or Rasul Pictures and pop icons empty drums beat loudest noise. We swap their quotes and CDs like children trading toys. Follow along, bite the bar, go deep in our jaw. La ilaha illallah, Mohammed Muhammadur Rasulullah. sustain our minds and men. Face, every place I go In my mirror and in shop windows Like the lead in my own show Do I dare look closely See each room with scar and fall La ilaha illallah Muhammad wa Rasulullah La Muhammad
1: Kalimah is one name for that song. Another name is the war, La Ilaha La, which I imagine a number of you will recognize. There is no God but God. And Muhammad is his messenger. That's the phrase that you hear in Arabic in the song. Clarify for me. Allah, is that a proper name, or is that a general category? You know, we have the confusion, actually, in English, where we say God and God, and one has a capital G and one doesn't, unless you speak with a good evangelical Christian, and God, you can't tell if it's capitalized or not.
2: In terms of the Arabic language, there is a word for deity, illah, but Allah literally translates to the deity. So it's a singular. And like in Spanish, for example, Al meaning the. El al Paso, you know, Allah means the deity, the God. So it is a proper name, but it is also non gender specific. It can't be pluralized. It's the same word used by Christian speaking Arabs as well. In the Bible, for example, if the Bible is translated into Arabic, the word God would be Allah. Allah because it just means the God.
1: Well, you certainly transfer a view of the world through your music. I'm loving everything that I've heard so far. And mind you, I went out and looked at videos of you performing before I even contacted you. You've sent me some of your music. I just can't wait to get to learn more. Pretty sure our listeners have that same attitude. So why don't you share another song? Oh, I would
2: love to. You know, I, I spoke earlier about the pilgrimage and that brokenness that a person sometimes feels, regardless of how much you try to do to be a certain way in your life or, or a tradition that you follow. And one of the things I've found with a lot of young people that I've met in recent years, especially in the university circuit, is a sense of depression and an overwhelming feeling of defeat. And this is, I've seen within the Christian community, Muslim community, Sikh community, Jewish community, and kind of a giving up on trying, giving up on self-forgiveness even. And, and that inspired a, a song many, many years ago which again, as I wrote, I began to look at very autobiographically. And it's called The Truth That Lies Inside. And it's just a little bit about how we fight with ourselves and other people for those perceptions of who we are and what it means to be a faithful person. We're all wearing a lot of different masks. And if we could just take those off, perhaps we would find it a lot easier to cope with our broken humanness.
1: The Truth That Lies Inside, that wood warns me.
0: You smile in the two-way mirror of my eyes I put on my faith like I wear a disguise You can't see my soul, see the life that I live I show you the mask of the best I can give I have hid here afraid like a child behind Truth of thoughts that clutter my mind What if you knew about all that I do The things that I think The me that is true Would you call me a hypocrite Call me a liar Would you curse out my name Would you damn me to fire Would you Or would you just walk away Afraid of me I've tried to hide Would too closely resemble the truth Of you that lies inside I've been looking to live, I've been living to find freedom from cages that are in my mind. Would you call me a hypocrite? Call me a liar? Would you curse out my name? Would you damn me to fire? Would you know what to say? Or would you just walk Semble the truth of you that lies inside. Will I scare you, frustrate you, upset you, irrate you, challenge your lifestyle or weaken your trust? Or will you see my effort, my passion, sincerity? Will you see just a little of yourself in me? Will you take off your mask so we can both be free? Would you call me a hypocrite? out my name, would you damn me to fire? Would you know what to say, or would you just walk away? Afraid of me, I've tried to hide. Would is personally resemble the truth?
1: I found myself swaying and meandering with that song, The Truth That Lies Inside. Dawood Warnsby is our guest for Song of the Soul today. His website, warnsby.com. Any questions about spelling, come by dot org, and I have a link to him. When you get to the chorus there, Dawood, and says, you know, would you call me a hypocrite? Would you call me a liar? Would you curse out my name? Do you get much of that from any part of the world? Partly, I'm thinking, you know, there's a fair amount of Islamic tradition. The whole being a musician is not viewed favorably. And by the way, historically... 150-plus years ago, Quakers, for the most part, chose not to share in music and look down on it as a creaturely activity, one that would lead you astray in the world. Are there sectors of Muslim or perhaps Christian or who knows where, Hindu population, where your music gets you some mistreatment?
2: not so much anymore there have been times i think what's interesting culturally is just how these paradigms swing and sway throughout history of the last 1400 years there have been times when the empire of islam has refined music and developed music and looked upon music as a means of actually heightening one's spirituality and that still exists in some parts of the world i know when i lived in damascus our neighbor an elderly lady she asked she saw me with my guitar case one day and she was very excited and said oh you play music she asked my wife what music do you play and my wife said she didn't play an instrument, and the woman looked at her with sadness on her face as if to say, how spiritually deficient of you that you don't. (laughs) And in places like Pakistan and India and and throughout the Muslim world on many levels, music is so much a part of the fabric of the culture. Historically, Muslim Spain was actually the first documented music conservatory was in Muslim Spain. The refinement of the guitar and the mandolin and the the violin, the addition of frets to instruments, even the do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, is often linguists trace those names to the Arabic alphabet, you know, there's a lot of rich history within the Muslim tradition and that empire of Islam with music. But in our last 100 or 125 years or so, we've seen for whatever reasons, perhaps it's because of the political colonialization that's gone on over the last 150 years, it's tightened people's approach to culture and this fear that if we introduce elements of expression into our culture, that are more linked with the heart. Perhaps it will weaken us as people and we will lose these traditions that we have. I personally make a big differentiation between the philosophy of Islam, which the Quran teaches, and the empire of Islam, which was established shortly after the Prophet Muhammad's passing. I embrace the Quran and I try to live by that. But I look upon the Empire of Islam with just a historical interest. One of the things which has come along with the Empire of Islam is the jurisprudence and the laws and things which have been fluctuated over centuries based upon whoever was interpreting the scriptures. And a lot of that doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. When people do come to me within the Muslim community and say, you know... What is your fatwa? What's your ruling on music? And how can I say, I to who? It's it's myself and God. And I don't really put a lot of credence to that approach to faith in general. And because of that, in the early days, when I was writing music specifically for Muslim children, I took a very traditional approach to it, music and vocals, just vocals and percussion only. When I began to see that adults were listening and people who'd grown up here in the West, like me, I began to kind of go back to my folk music roots and and use that approach. And there was definitely some backlash in the Muslim community amongst very orthodox people who do really embrace very literal approaches to the Hadith and the Quran. There was a time when people were saying, oh, he's not really even a Muslim. He's just a new age hippie. And, oh, whatever, you know, (laughs) it's all good. But... um, But I'm still doing it. 25 years later, I think the Muslim community has really changed. If anything, now I get a lot more flack from Muslims who are using music as a very commercial sort of pop, like Muslim pop music. And I'm very critical of how we've really embraced the capitalistic approach to music in the Muslim community. And because I take a very strong stance against that... I'm looked upon more as kind of this passé old hippie folk singer who just doesn't want to embrace music videos and tweeting and twittering and twerking and all that other good stuff. So it's funny how the pendulum swings, and I'm happy to just ride the pendulum until it settles in the middle.
1: (laughs) I hope people are aware enough of the whole Christian tradition. To be a Christian in the first three centuries was essentially to be a pacifist, not participate in military specifically. And it was only with Constantine and becoming part of empire again, that that view changed. That's part of the ups and downs and changes, and it has more to do with empire than it does to do with the religion or the writings of Jesus. And so it doesn't surprise me. And again, as a Quaker... When I started attending Quaker meeting, the very first Quaker meeting I went to, someone pulled out some instruments and we started doing international folk dance right after. So I had this idea, you know, Quakers sing and dance, but yet 150 years earlier, that would have been verboten. And one of the founders of Quakers, Margaret Feld, when Quakers got towards this thing where, no, we don't do that, we don't do that, don't, we only have to dress in black and gray. She called that a silly, poor gospel, which I think maybe is something that you would reflect on how people instantiate and bring this into fruition in the world, that Islam doesn't mean you can't sing a song. But maybe it means you can't dance. Can you dance? I mean, if you can't twerk, maybe you can't dance either.
2: (laughs) Well, there's actually a wonderful story in the authentic books tradition of Muhammad, peace be upon him, where some African travelers, troubadours, if you will, came through the city of Medina and they actually came into the mosque where the Prophet's house was attached to the mosque. He could see through his front door into the prayer area, and they proceeded to put on some tribal dancing using spears and singing, and uh, he and his young wife stood at the doorway and watched. And the story is that they watched for some time until eventually they kind of retired and went back in their house. So it was something to welcome, this idea of cultural expression of dance and and of song. I think what's fascinating, especially from a Muslim perspective, is that when I do speak with very well-intended, more literalist Muslims who will say to me, well, you know, there is a saying of the Prophet, which kind of suggests that instruments are impermissible. And I say, well, the guitar didn't exist at the time of the Prophet. And they say, yes, but in his infinite wisdom as a prophet, he would have known. <laughs> and I'll say, well, you know, that's, oh, let's take that discussion because the sayings of the prophet which deal with warfare are very... Many and very extreme, in terms of how an individual should defend themselves if they're being attacked, that women and children should not be harmed, buildings should not be damaged, crops should not be damaged, trees should not be damaged, non-combatants should not be. Damaged. That if you followed the very specific traditions of the Prophet, it would render modern-day warfare completely impermissible and haram. When I present that to people and say, "Well, then that's why I'm a musician who's a pacifist, as opposed to being a Muslim who doesn't play musical instruments but is okay with guns and bombs and modern-day warfare." <laughs> It's a struggle to help people see that. But I think it, if nothing else, it provides an opportunity for them to think a little
1: bit about how our inconsistencies can really be very silly gospel, as you said. <laughs> yes. I think you reflect this so well through your music, so why don't we go into another song? And I'm pretty sure you'll have said it in one or another of your songs.
2: This next one is one called All of Us, and it's kind of self-explanatory that we all need to just um, recognize and honor and respect each other's worth.
0: All of us ride in the same bus Shop at the same malls and stores All of us debate and discuss Decide and divide What is mine and what's yours When it rains, it rains on all our houses We all get cold when it snows When a storm rolls in, huddled up against our windows We all feel the fear when a strong wind blows because on this earth We're all of equal world You and I Wonder at the sky Call God a different name As we try Learn and long to fly You and I Are so differently the same We squint our eyes When the sun shines on the water Swim the way a river flows As we all get older by thorns to smell life's rose We all feel sad When someone we love goes comes on this earth We're all of the equal world As we try Learn and long to fly well on this earth we're all love
1: equal. Another gem from Dawood Warnsby is all of us. It's got that beautiful simple instrumental accompaniment. It sounded to me like it was a yuke in there, Dawood. But the message, and again you're being influenced by the Quran, I do think that it's the beginning of wisdom that We're all that same person, that we have that common. The rain falls on all of us, the rich and the poor and the powerful and the weak. I think you share great wisdom in your songs, and I'd like you to do that one more time before we have to disconnect. How can we finish off Dawood Warnsby's Song of the Soul?
2: I think you could probably finish off with one of the most recent songs I've written, which is exactly about this. It's called Live Life Like a Traveller, which is a statement of Prophet Muhammad, who encouraged his companions, male and female, and those who struggle even with their sexual identity in those days, to live life like a traveler, that we are here to learn and to grow. It's the journey that we're on that is so important for us to respect and honor each of our journeys and paths. And this is my ode to that concept.
1: Except that, Dawood, you just about blew my mind. You said sexual identity. Are you saying that back then there was discourse about that?
2: Definitely. In the in the authentic sayings of the Prophet and uh, libraries like Bukhari and Muslim, there's reference to companions of the Prophet, a specific companion that uh, comes to my mind now, who was not inclined towards women. That was just not in his nature. And so the Prophet didn't object to him spending time and hanging out with the ladies and with the women. But there came a time when one individual then came back to a gathering of men, and he began talking about what he'd seen and, the women's and some of the women he'd been with, what their bodies were like. And then the Prophet became a little upset and said, you know, If you say you're not inclined towards women in this sexual way, but you then spend time intimately with the women and alone with them, and they're comfortable with you, you're comfortable with them, and then you come back and you begin to talk about their private personalities or their bodies, this isn't appropriate. This is not a game, you know, that you need to know who you are, basically, and be respectful of people, regardless of whether they're man or woman, and whatever your inclinations are, be strong in yourself, but don't play a game with it. And I think it's a reminder for us when our society now puts so much emphasis on sexuality sexuality, instead of honor and respect of each other. And so I think that's an important part of that journey that we're all on. How do we conduct ourselves as diverse as we all are and with all of our different inclinations and desires and personal hopes and dreams? How can we respect each other and honor each other and treat each other with the respect that we all deserve as people created by God?
1: And I felt so blessed just sitting and talking with you, Dawood, and I can't wait to hear more of your music. I do want to have you back for my Spirit in Action program. Oh, I'd be honored. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dawood. Thank you so much, Mark. God bless. Again, folks, we've been speaking with Dawood Warnsby today. I want to thank Catherine Thomas for production assistance on today's program. Dawood can be found at warnsby.com. The link's on nordonspiritradio.org. And there are also bonus excerpts that we couldn't include in this broadcast. You'll find them on nordonspiritradio.org as well. Thank you so much for joining us today We'll see you all next week for Song of the Soul Here is Live Life Like a Traveler Dawood Warnsby
0: When I was young There were many things They tried to teach me Son, you must be grounded Find some strong stability Be rooted and secure To live long and endure Seek out chance or circumstance And never try if you're not sure There was a harmony I heard when I shut my eyes Like advice from some strange voice I seem to recognize Build dreams to chase behind their shadows in your mind And live like a traveler Only passing through Don't let your baggage weigh you down Through all you need to do Faith and friends and freedom They will always be with you If you live like a traveler my school and parents home there was so much new to learn i got an itch to roam it wasn't long before i unlocked the old back door and i was roving in the world to learn and to explore Eight way you down through all you need to do Faith and friends and freedom My parents weren't all wrong. It's important to know who you are and where you best belong. Roots don't grow in boxes, dreams with a route of range. Cash in the bank can't buy.